Welcome to SPAC Island with your hosts, Stan and Alex. We're two Silicon Valley tech product managers who love stock investing and have jumped on board the SPAC boat. Join us on our journey to find the diamonds in the rough. But please, always do your own research before trading. This is not financial advice. Today on SPAC Island, we're going to review two new SPACs, so AeroFarm and App Harvest. So these are companies in the ag tech space. And then Stanley is going to go ahead and introduce the market and kind of set the stage before we dive in. Yeah, thanks, Alex. The ag tech space in general is a multi-trillion dollar industry. The two companies, App Harvest and AeroFarm, are mostly in the fresh produce part of that market, which itself is already a $1.4 trillion industry. Obviously, a trillion dollar industry is super huge. Leafy greens themselves comprise 5% of that. Berries are about 12. Other veggies are about a third. And then the there's a whole other half of that fresh produce industry, which is just whole other fruits. There are a lot of existing companies, given that the ag tech industry is millennia old. So in modern days, you have existing juggernauts like John Deere innovating with their tractor business, trying to use geospatial satellites to plot where tractors should be autonomously so that you don't need a human being sitting on a tractor driving the tractor around doing all that work. Now, the industry, if you zoom out, is a global supply chain of moving produce around and, you know, you'll have seeds coming from Monsanto. You'll have growers in Mexico growing actual produce and then trucking them over back across the U.S. border to serve the U.S. produce market. And today, everything from the farm tech, which is, you know, your tractors and the monitoring software, which monitors you know, the progress through which the produce are growing, the greenhouses where certain produce might be housed in as they grow, or even warehouses where you're reinventing even the idea of, do you need sunlight to grow a plant? Every piece of that stack is being innovated upon. So today we're going to kind of break down how App Harvest and AeroFarm try to go about each of these. So... To compare and contrast these two companies, we're going to use a specific framework. So essentially, we're going to be talking about the tech, so the underlying technology that these companies are using. Then we're going to go through the business models. So how are they actually making money? Are they selling directly? Are they selling to distributors? Uh, Are they licensing out their tech? And then what type of scalability do they have? How can they go and continue making money and continue to grow in the future? Uh, Essentially kind of feeding into their growth narrative uh, of the SPAC and of of the stock. And then finally, on the finance side, what are they doing today? What's their revenue projections? Where do they think they can be in the next uh, four to five years? So to kick it off, we'll uh, start with uh, App Harvest. App Harvest is this really interesting company. They are looking overseas to Europe, specifically to the Dutch, and analyzing how they became the world's second largest food exporter by building these really big, efficient sustainable greenhouses. They thought that they could just take the technology, understand all those processes, copy paste that into the US, and you can, without too much R&D, build a hyper-efficient, sustainable greenhouse for the American market. And so App Harvest primarily right now is going after the leafy greens markets and the tomato market. So I think their beef steaks are already being distributed in Kentucky, which is where they're based. They have a 
big greenhouse uh, currently built there. They are interested in uh, taking market share from Mexican growers, specifically in tomatoes, cucumbers, and leafy greens. When they tried to find a way to do that, they noticed that they couldn't just spin up a normal American farm. They needed to be innovative in the efficiency and sustainability of their facilities. They have these facilities where they collect all the water into a pool and um, basically have almost no water waste in their facility. Almost every drop of water makes its way into the produce and into the final product to be shipped out. And so this is a really interesting way to see fresh produce being grown in the U.S., distributed to American consumers who otherwise might have to rely on um, either lower quality or more expensive produce, you know, if, if they have to rely on Mexican produce or other places like California, where shipping over might increase those costs. If they grow in Kentucky and they can sell to the eastern seaboard, it's both healthier and cheaper for everybody. To contrast it a little bit from uh, App Harvest, so App Harvest is focusing on those greenhouses, they're using natural sunlight. Aerofarm, on the other hand, is a essentially entirely closed warehouse type of environment and they're using their own artificial light, so their own LEDs. They control every single environmental factor that affects the plant's growth, so from CO2 to air to temperature, humidity, light, everything. So they can really fine-tune a lot of the kind of the taste of what that plant will, will end up tasting like. So if your typical plant is out in a field, just in the environment, just growing on its own, there's a lot more kind of environmental variables there uh, that the farmer doesn't have control over. In Aerofarm's case, they they can literally control everything. In addition to that control, they also have a lot more rotations. So your typical farm might only have a few rotations in a year, depending on the weather and their location. And in a warehouse, you can you can you can grow nonstop all year round because the weather's not a not a factor. I wouldn't necessarily say it's that unique. I mean, there's a, there's a few companies like this, but uh, Aerofarm's main thing is that they they grow in a controlled environment using their own kind of quote-unquote proprietary processes and formulas for how to grow these plants optimally. Their business model is grow the plants, sell the plants, pretty straightforward. They're located right now in uh, just outside of New York City in Newark. So they're able to sell uh, locally, so to New York, to the uh, greater New York area. Uh, Aerofarm is trying to be more local and trying to have a dedicated facility to a specific uh, city. Contrasting it with App Harvest, App Harvest has like they're in what Kentucky, and they can they could drive trucks uh, anywhere. Uh, in terms of scalability, it's kind of the same idea. Instead of having one massive growing area like in Kentucky or Kansas or whatever, Aerofarms in the long term would have uh, local places for each city. So DC, Boston might each have their own uh, warehouse that's growing plants for that local market. And then in terms of financing, they're they're gonna make like four million in. Uh, <laughs> In 2021, so you know there is some revenue coming in. It's not not too bad, but their long term, they're projecting I think around a half billion dollars uh, in the next five years. So they are expecting a healthy amount of growth, and that growth is is both on the uh, supply side, so them creating more facilities and expanding the capacity of those facilities, and also on the demand side, making sure that they can continue to somehow create an extra half billion dollars worth of demand for their production. But that's the other nice thing about being in your own warehouse and having control of everything. Like you're not, you're not tied to a specific plant. You can literally grow whatever you want. Uh, so if you want to grow bananas, you want to grow a tree. I mean, it's going to take a long time, but you could, that is something you could do, or you could buy the trees and bring them inside your warehouse. And then 
have a tropical environment all year round. I mean, their technology lends more to quick cycles like berries and, and leafy greens. But the idea is that you can have any environment. You can grow anything you want in that environment. So there's infinite scalability um, by doing that. The main kind of drawback is just that you're using your own electricity. So if they can figure out the power problem uh, and reducing the energy costs, then it seems like they could they could meet a lot of these uh, pretty pretty lofty goals, I think, that they've set for themselves. So that's actually one thing I'm a bit worried about for Aero Farm because they're projecting a ton of growth. Well, like like all these companies, though. Well, yeah, they're projecting a ton of growth. Uh, and just to contrast real quick, so Aero Farm is looking to reach $54 million in revenue, top line, by 2023. App Harvest, by 2023, is expecting net revenue of $145 million. So top line versus bottom line, already a pretty big difference. The way AeroFarm thinks it's going to get there is with all of these uh, warehouses where they have to, like you said, pay for the electricity. But then you also said that for the distribution strategy, they want to build in these places like Boston, maybe New York, or generally the idea is you would build pretty close to these urban centers. And I think that the closer you get to quote-unquote civilization, I think the harder it will be to find low energy costs, right? Because when there's not that many people around, energy is pretty cheap. But as soon as you get into New York City or San Francisco, like you're not getting the same six cents per kilowatt hour that you are in Danville, Virginia, that you would in, let's say, Brooklyn, right? Uh, I mean, it really depends on the energy generation. Like if you if you go to like upstate New York, energy is relatively cheap because of Niagara. So I think it... There's a couple of variables there, but if you also put uh, solar panels on your warehouses, uh, you might be able to significantly offset some of those costs. Uh, but then, of course, the cost of those has to be amortized against all of your products. Do you think that you could ha- generate enough energy localized to your own facility mm. to do that? Like Niagara, I think, is a pretty special case, but I think if we just stick to solar. In New York and Boston, like you have relatively short days in the winter, so it's not a year-round solution. They wouldn't have the lights on 24-7 because the plants also need to rest. Solar might be something that works for them, but uh, I don't think it would, it would offset 100%, especially because you need some type of storage mechanism. So the ener- I think the energy like for these indoor like warehouses is, is always the number one kind of uh, drawback. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of have these guys been able to figure out some more efficient way to, to reduce their energy costs or some unique way to reduce their energy costs. They, they claim to, uh, but... I haven't really seen anything more concrete than we, we figured something out. <laughs> right. So I, I, I agree that's definitely an open, open question. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, they're, they're in Danville right now. They also have a pilot going in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, so way on the other side of the world. Obviously, solar is going to be pretty abundant there. I don't know if the heat would actually affect the ability to capture that energy, I think, Temperature does play a factor, but the map that they should put out says they want to expand into the southern U.S., greater St. Louis area, Texas Triangle, and in the long run into the West Coast. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if they can uh, balance that equation on energy costs. Yeah, it might. I mean, maybe that's what also was driving these locations. It's like they, they were able to find a, a center that makes sense from an energy perspective. Because that's, I mean, that's going to be their biggest cost. Right, right. 
And that's also why this is so feasible. Like this is like why this is feasible these days, whereas it wasn't years ago, just because mm-hmm. of how far LED or lightning technology has come and how much more energy efficient it is. Speaking of which, I know the AeroFarm team has said that they've been working on this for 15 years. Do you have any sense of why you need 15 years to build a type of co- like this type of company? My kind of sense, like just looking at like their timeline, their development timeline, was as like uh, it almost felt like someone was doing this in their basement for fun. Ah, okay. And like started selling it. I mean, that's, I, there's a lot of different folks that are kind of doing this at home mm-hmm. who are sell like just growing leafy greens and selling it to local restaurants. Like you find three or four clients uh, and it's become kind of a side hustle for some folks. So that's kind of my interpretation of it. Cause like it was 2004 and then in 2011 things started happening. So my, my, yeah, it's just one of the co-founders was actually doing this and started this a long time ago. And then it kind of started picking up speed and they want to uh, expand it. I think, you know, the uh, AeroFarm team definitely has a lot of control over their plans so they can do a lot of experimentation and like the classic one is oh what is the perfect wavelength to spur growth in my plants but then i mean it's hard to beat free when you have a greenhouse like app harvest in kentucky with energy just pours in several hours a day at no cost i mean there's 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 trade-offs right because like uh you get the free electricity but then you're limited by what you can actually produce and when you can produce it, because the sun's not always going to be necessarily strong enough. So you, maybe, I don't know if they supplement, but uh, like in the wintertime, you have shorter days. I don't know. Like you have less heat that's coming in. Mm-hmm. So, you're, But you also, because you have glass, it, it's poor, poor insulation. So then you have some type of heating cost to keep the plants all right. Um, even Kentucky, it gets uh, colder in the, in the winter. So I think there's trade-offs to both of these. Uh, I think it also really comes down to what you're actually producing. So like if you're producing berries and uh, leafy greens that are having fast cycle times, it, it seems to me at least that the warehouse model would be, like the AeroFarm model would be more effective. But like if you're making tomatoes or you're making bigger things that need more space, it's going to be way more effective to have greenhouses because the space is going to be cheaper. It almost seems like app harvest, given the the Dutch technology that they're importing, is kind of the best-in-class methodology as of now. And AeroFarms is this more nascent technology that could completely overtake greenhouses in the future. Mm, I could see like some type of hybrid approach. I feel like the, the infrastructure that they're building for themselves is a clear like fork in the road. They're like, no, no sun. We're just going to do it ourselves. Yeah, yeah. because even if you, had, if you put it in a greenhouse, you'd You'd have to like angle the plants somehow. Mm-hmm. Unless they got like a special rack that they could lean over, but like, is that something they want to invest in? And if they're yeah. going to have these like rotation cycles where they like, it'll take them another 15 years to figure out that tray. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, yeah, it doesn't necessarily make sense for them to, uh, like, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a fork in the road and they're going different routes. And I think there's trade offs to that route. I think, uh, I like App Harvest. I like, I like the greenhouse idea and I like what it can produce. And I also like their distribution model. Whereas I think uh, AeroFarms, I think it's it's just another potential solution. Um, I'm not as big of a fan of the distribution model because I think it it's higher risk. Um, but I, uh, I also understand like why they would try to go that route and start smaller. 
and then build up. Whereas App Harvest essentially has one massive, massive facility that can produce, produce everything they need, land is relatively cheap, and they can then distribute um, just about countrywide. That actually speaks to going back to what I was saying about the modern kind of best-in-class methodology versus the science experiment, where I think the reason App Harvest feels comfortable buying so much land and building such a big facility is because there's a certain level of certainty that what they're doing uh, has a high probability of working out, given that the Netherlands has perfected this down to the T, to a T. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. If Aero Farms had the same um, kind of uh, R&D kind of maturity as the entire country of the Netherlands, I think they would be much more aggressive with their CapEx as well. No, I think that's a good point because I think uh, like all the detractors, like all the bears for Aerofarm are just talk point to the uh, energy costs mm-hmm. of those LEDs. I saw an interview to prep for this with their CEO and he kind of just said that we've, we've taken care of it. Mm. It's kind of hand wavy. It doesn't, I didn't see any numbers. Like <laughs> our energy costs are, you know, 80% of production cost or whatever. So, and then like maybe there's like 5% profit whatever the actual number is hmm. whereas yeah i mean you're using the you're using the sun you're using um relatively low cost tech like it makes a lot of sense and then the biggest cost is just labor to harvest everything and to plant everything which right. aerofarm also has uh just they have everything closer and more compact so the labor doesn't have to move as far but mm-hmm. they still have the same costs on top in, in addition to energy but then again, you know, it's not like App Harvest isn't trying new things or or uh, innovating. Uh, recently, as of today, App Harvest announced that they acquired Root AI, which is a robotic produce picking machine. And so it's actually really cool. So this machine has a camera. You put it next to all your plants that have... Uh, Uh, Let's say you have a tomato, and so all the tomato fruits have uh, grown in. And there's a camera that looks out, sees the produce, identifies that this is a tomato. That's something that that the robot should pick. It has a robotic arm that's uh, squishy. Uh, It will reach out, grab the tomato, do a little twist, and then uh, drop it in a basket. And so I think that is something... That is super interesting. You know, I know that in agriculture in the U.S. today uh, relies on a lot of migrant labor. You know, I don't think there's very much automated picking of produce at all in the U.S. So I think you know the fact that App Harvest is investing in this uh, new technology. There's a, it's not just like a little research project that they're working on and will never kind of impact their bottom line. This thing could can pick all day, all night. It can, you know, probably identify which fruits uh, are ripe and pick the ones that are ready for it to be picked and then skip the ones that don't. If a human were to pick it, you have to pay them hourly. And so if you're sending somebody out to pick fruits, regardless of whether it's ready to be picked yet, like maybe it could wait a couple days and that would be the perfect time. That person that's picking is just going to pick everything and it all goes into a basket. But with a robot and you're growing in a facility like a greenhouse, you really have really precise control on which item you want to pick so that 
you send to market the exact uh, perfect produce. And then from there, maybe you can mark it down because uh, maybe maybe you have such a margin because you didn't have to uh, pay a human person and the robot costs scale out that you can price your produce at a lower price. Maybe you can price it actually at a higher price point because by the time it gets to the market, each you know tomato is like the most perfect tomato you've ever tasted. So I think uh, it gives them a lot of flexibility. Actually, that's a good point because like uh, farmers are throwing away so much of their produce. Like it just like you know um, imperfect. Imperfect is essentially well, I mean they started by just selling some of the the throw the things that the grocery stores wouldn't buy. Mm, so yeah, I mean there's a lot of waste right now just with farms. Not necessarily because the food is bad, but just because it looks bad because it was it fell off a plant or anything like that. So if you can avoid that, you have the plant just constantly monitoring all these different fruits and vegetables and picking the ones that are ripe just when they're they're just about to fall off is is kind of like the perfect thing. And on top of all of that, on top of, you know, not having so much that you have to throw away, you save on the labor costs. So it's kind of a win-win from a farmer standpoint. Yeah, totally. It is uh it's a future. Hands down. I don't think uh <laughs> I don't think farms are going to be able to compete with this. Uh, as these roll, roll out and as they expand, the robots just going to be constantly picking. I don't know if they have like a seeding one yet that plants the seeds uh, and preps it for growth. But uh, if that's next, then mm. not going to have any humans in these things anymore. Yeah. I wonder if either of these model, like I, I wonder if that's even something that these companies are actually trying to do or if they're always going assuming that there's some human involved in the process, maybe even for just QA. But I think it would be super cool if you just had a pile of seeds and then, you know, put it in some corner of a warehouse. And then in like six months, the expectation was just that some robot just like automatically wheels out on a pallet, you know, all these tomatoes or all these cabbages. Um, I think that would, that's kind of the dream for ag tech, right? Oh, yeah. That's like the holy grail. If you have, at least if for you these have guys, food. Mm-hmm. Food end to end made by robots, then that's that's. I mean, that's the future. I think like every industry has this kind of ideal future. Like for a car, for a transportation, it's autonomous cars, autonomous trucks. For ag tech, it's the robots are seeding, maintaining, and then uh, reaping the plants. So and then just delivering it to you. Then for homes, maybe it's three D printing. And some uh, other robots. So, yeah, I think we're we're trying to move to this this future, and you know, with this is like one of the first steps in that in that direction of just autonomous food production. I think one extra bonus for App Harvest is that geographically speaking, they're located in uh, a part of the country that hasn't seen as much kind of tech attention. Like I think a lot of times if you think about, okay, where is US, where is technology uh, concentrated in the US? I think it's probably primarily in the Bay Area and then maybe in some other uh, hubs in New York and Austin and I guess also Miami. But then App Harvest pays 41% higher than comparable jobs in Kentucky. Um, so App Harvest minimum wage of $13 compared to $9.22 for comparable work based on the Kentucky Center for Statistics in 2018. And another stat on their labor economics is a single entry-level worker earns 74% of Rowan County's median household income of $36,000. For a single 
entry level worker to earn almost entirely the, the median household income for that for the area that they're in. Well, I'm wondering, like, because uh, it's like Walmart and Amazon pay uh, fifteen dollars, even though the fifteen dollars an hour, even though the minimum is less than that. Right, but I think that if you work at App Harvest, you have a like the stuff that you're working on has a lot more growth potential than working at Walmart, right? Like, mm, I mean, if you're like a, if you're a plant picker guy, I don't know that you're going to be a manager anytime soon, but I guess that's true. My read on this, this is that they're like, they're not paying minimum wage because they, they can afford to pay more, which is because of investor money. <laughs> so uh, perhaps I guess these two stats aren't as compelling as I remember them to be. But I think that the expertise that comes with standing up a facility like this is extremely valuable relative to the rest of the industry. And the idea that that expertise is going to be concentrated in a part of the country where that tech network hasn't been super concentrated um, is a positive. Well, I'm wondering how many like tech, like tech people they actually have. Well, the people that are building out these facilities, the people that, like, I think standing up greenhouses and like all the nitty gritty details of like how to do that, such that maybe they're competing app harvests in five years time. App harvest could be the the Tesla. And then eventually some guy goes off and becomes the Lucid to like build their own version. And so you see that, that core competency of like ag tech or this flavor of ag tech kind of spread such that more and more people understand this advanced farming techniques. Mm-hmm. I mean, they also talk about like upskilling their labor force and like supporting their employees. So yeah, I think I could definitely see something like that happening. We have like fractures of, uh, of App Harvest alumni who go out and, and continue to build other similar kind of companies. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that compete, but maybe that, uh, that approach other parts of the stack. But I think uh, the certified B Corp thing is like this relatively new thing that I think, I want to say Allbirds started or it was one of, the, I think maybe Warby Parker, but it's- Wasn't Patagonia like OG? Oh yeah, it was Patagonia. Yeah, yeah you're right, you're right. They're the OG one. And then a lot of uh, Silicon Valley companies have started doing it recently. Um, maybe cynically, I say that's more of a marketing thing, but yeah, uh, these guys are also certified B Corp, which means that they're prioritizing um, like global benefit, some type of specific benefit to the world, as opposed to investor returns, uh, which is the normal like C corp requirement that when you sign your paperwork is that you're trying to um, your your like overarching goal is to give your shareholders returns, whereas B corp your overarching goal is to give some type of something back to either whatever specific cause that you you say in the uh, in the charter document. I don't know that I'm particularly like compelled by corporate virtue signaling as a investment yeah, um, I agree. signal, but but that, that's why like when I look at like this employee stuff and this like a lot of the stuff that they have um, that they talk about, it's kind of just virtue signaling. Well, I think that you can have a business that wants to invest in their employees and in the community without having to, like there's nothing inherently evil about a C Corp that you have to run away from it and start this B Corp so that you can be a a benevolent company. Um, Yep. So I, yeah, I don't really see being a B Corp as as a reason to invest in a company, but um, perhaps it's a commitment and kind of an ask that their shareholders be vigilant and 
making sure that they think about more than just share price? Yeah, but uh, virtue signaling, that's my uh, cynical kind of insight into it. But so far, it seems like the majority of com- like I haven't found a company that's gone through the, the process of becoming a B Corp be disingenuous about it or like try to somehow skirt that line of being like a quote-unquote ethical company. Oh, yeah. Well, just just you wait. Well, yeah, <laughs> I eventually. Think in the next few years, more, more companies do this yeah. and see it as like an easy marketing ploy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. You'll see that again. I think right now, I think I agree. I think it is like, it's like these companies want to do good anyways. This is like a vehicle for them to. It's a way for them to, yeah, it's a way for them to kind of monetize their good intentions yeah. almost. It's like, you know, otherwise you don't really get quote unquote points for being a good comp, like an ethical company. Now you get the marketing advantage. But I guess in terms of like the finance side of these two companies, like uh, Aerofarm and App Harvest, I think App Harvest is in a much better place than Aerofarm is. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot more infrastructure built out. They're still um, building out more. They're probably going to, I think their initial revenue is also more, their 2021 revenue. Mm-hmm. So they've got a lot more uh, infrastructure in place to actually kind of capitalize. And then they also have larger distribution capability as opposed to Aerofarm, which once they max out that that first facility, then they have to go out and build a whole new one as opposed to adding on to the existing facility. Um, and then shifting distribution or trying to shift their distribution to outside of like new new work um, to then wherever other place they want to try to meet uh, demand. So full disclosure, I own both stock in both companies. Um, I own a bit more in App Harvest just because they announced earlier and I bought in their dips. Maybe one thing to consider about like the quality of a SPAC is like if a company that SPACs waits a couple years, would they be mature enough to go the IPO route anyway? And I think for App Harvest, I think so. Like if they waited a few years, they could have done like a relatively small IPO and they're just kind of taking themselves public now via this easy hyped up route. Um, whereas I think Aerofarms, even though I own it, it's more of a gamble to me personally. Like my my gut is that vertical farming in general has been a science experiment for many, many years. Uh, unlike App Harvest greenhouse technology, which has been just been proven um, in Europe, Aerofarms is really trying to prove that you can really scale up the operation that they've grown so far. So like each of the components of like, okay, so you plant the seed, then you grow it, then you pick it, then you ship it out. Um, I think all of that, that whole end-to-end value chain has been built and they're going public based off of the fact that they've gotten that far. But the whether, you, whether this technology can really scale um, and feed a ton of people, I think is still yet to be proven. And anybody that gets in today is basically making a bet that it will scale and it will be super impactful. But I guess in terms of like the ultimate future of having robots automatically and autonomously create food um, from seed to to table, App Harvest has probably got a uh, bigger step forward on that. So it seems like a lot safer of a bet. Oh yeah, I'm here for it. And uh, Aerofarm, which has a lot of lot of things they got to figure out. I would love to know more about like their their electricity consumption. I mean, so I'm, I guess full disclosure on, on my side, I'm I'm invested in App Harvest. Uh, I'm not invested in Aerofarm, and I I might be maybe if I can uh, find something on that 
electricity side, but I just haven't been able to find anything concrete um, besides, you know, kind of the hand wavy stuff I saw in that interview. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, AeroFarm is definitely an interesting route. It has a lot more flexibility in the future versus App Harvest. But App Harvest, uh, exactly like you said, is a tried and true technology. It's nothing really too fancy or new. They're kind of integrating with some interesting twists on it, like uh, with the Root AI robot um, and some additional things they're coming out with. But nothing that's too like groundbreaking. But at the same time, that's that's not a bad thing in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not a, not a bad thing to, to have tried and true technology and just bring it from overseas and bring it locally. And then start using some of the benefits of this indoor growth, such as uh, no pesticides. So you, you get to hop on all these organic and vegan and all these different trains to, to monetize those with like pretty great unit economics uh, versus farms. Mm-hmm. Like you're basically raising the bar to such a point where uh, the market has to respond by kind of handing you their money. Yeah, I mean, farms aren't going to be able to uh, compete with these. Once, so, yeah, for sure. Once and, they scale, and they, like it's it's higher quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and the farms can't compete, and then it's a better product. Yeah, and keep in overall. and keep in mind, it's so, it's not pitting like American farmers against American farmers, uh, especially App Harvest. They're they're working against uh, this global supply chain. So like this idea that you have to buy tomatoes that were picked before they were ripe. You know, and by the time that the tomato gets close enough to the market, they spray it with some chemical that makes them look ripe and red. And then unless you want to go to Whole Foods and pay like 5x or I don't know, I'm just making numbers up, but like some ungodly sum for just like an organic tomato or go to a farmer's market, like you shouldn't have to go through all those hoops and pay all that money just to get fresh produce. And the food doesn't even taste good. That's that's the craziest thing. Like they do this whole like song and dance to try to make sure you get tomatoes all year round. Mm. Tomatoes, oranges, there's all these different fruits that like they like they pick when they're ripe. Um, they like spray it with ethylene to like ripen it quicker. And then they also like some of them they even freeze. Like and the food just tastes bad. It suffers tremendously from it. So you can get something all year round that's good. And uh, why would you not pay for that? At, at the risk of reopening the Aero Farms can of worms, I think Aero Farms. I was I was in the back of my head as I was listening to you. I was thinking, I said that they were kind of raising money off the fact that they completed their end-to-end kind of value chain. But I actually think the hidden value chain here is that they need a solid energy play. So like they like their deck needs some at minimum one slide on like some some solar partnership or like some way where they can guarantee cheap energy. Yeah, I mean, location is a big part. I mean, sure, like their map, I'm sure is is all is all energy based. I mean, I grew up in St. Louis, and I don't see them as a particularly big energy capital. <laughs> uh, I guess where do you guys get your energy from? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I was just like a consumer. I mean, I I grew up there like K through twelve, like you know, like I was born there, and then once I went to college, I I kind of went out of state. But St. Louis was never like an energy town, for sure not. It's just like, oh, yeah, we have yeah. energy. <laughs> no, because, I mean, there's certain places in the U.S. that, like, I keep coming back to Ni- Niagara, but, like, Niagara at one point was, like, like a boom area because of the energy cost. You could do a lot of experiments there. And uh, mm-hmm. production and factories and all were in uh, Buffalo because of, mm. of the dam. But then same with, like, Iceland. The reason Iceland actually produces a ton of food as well and a ton of different things and uh, also, like, uh, aluminum 
is because they have so much energy there because of geothermal. A lot of aluminum smelting was done in uh, Iceland. And now they have all the greenhouse production because they can heat the greenhouses for free uh, using the geothermal. So energy is like a lot of different things. I'm sure that I'm sure there's like a, some kind of dams or some type of energy benefit to the locations they chose. Like it might this like this map is kind of indicating it might not actually be in St. Louis. It might be somewhere else. I mean, it's just catering to St. I, Louis. I never really fixated on this part of their deck. They put a green circle around what I would consider the tri-state area relative to Missouri. Um, so it looks like Missouri, Montana, Illinois, a little bit of some of the actually if you go to their well. if you go to their Danville farm, it basically says like low operating costs with low energy rates and competitive skilled for workforce. So energy is one of the things that they're looking for. Maybe they think they can get a good deal in St. Louis. The St. Louis, Texas Triangle, uh, Southern US cluster is for the next farm, which they're not looking to close until 2022. I think they're just trying to maybe play some competitive, like play play bidders off of each other. It seems like Texas makes the most sense just because it it's like has energy infrastructure. Um, maybe you can pump in some natural gas or something. I'm, I'm just, uh, because I'm from St. Louis, I'm kind of fixating on it. And I'm like, hmm, the greater St. Louis area is that, that like nobody calls this area that they've circled the greater St. Louis area. <laughs> Unless that's uh, a very new thing. Yeah, I mean, St. Louis is probably their target city. Because, like, uh, this Danville location includes D.C., but they don't call it, like, the greater D.C. area. So when they say 48 Tower Farm, the 48 Tower, like, uh, with Danville, they're saying, you know, however many towers is distributed across this zone that they've built out, I guess. Is that is that your understanding? I don't really know what the 48 Tower meant. I think they had a slide talking about their different sizes earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I don't know what that means in terms of like uh, food production. I think one tower is just like one giant rack. I'm assuming that's what they mean. But uh, yeah, actually, even in Danville, it says uh, energy costs less than six cents a kilowatt. I'm so. just wondering if they can replicate that elsewhere. Like you could, you could do that probably in Montana. They have solar farms up there. That's that's what that's what I'm thinking. It might be for um, for St. Louis because in Iowa, there's a lot of solar farms. Mm, so maybe if they co-locate with any place that has good solar capacity. Mm-hmm. Or they partner. They, they, I mean, that like you partner with like the local government or someone to try to mm-hmm. lock in lower energy rates. There's lots of ways to go about it. But as long as they're like one of their KPIs is re- like reduced energy rates, yeah. then there's lots of ways to go about that. Whether it's talking to energy distributors, whether it's partnering with a solar provider or paying, p- like paying partially for a solar farm. Uh, that will benefit the local town. There's lots of ways to go about doing that. Oh yeah, um, but because because they're focusing on it, it does mean that like the pro- it makes a lot more sense that they can be profitable with this model mm-hmm. versus like because a lot of people have talked about this in the past, but that's like the the biggest uh, hurdle. And so it looks like they they're attacking it. Um, six like under six cents a kilowatt hour is pretty pretty cheap. So the, I mean, I'm sure. I'm like at this point, my my feeling is that the labor is probably their biggest concern. Well, there's one less uh, produce picking robot on the on the market, so they're gonna have to find somebody else. I wonder why they don't talk about that. Because like, okay, they've got energy and labor are probably their two biggest costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really talk about like how any ways that they could reduce that labor cost. Are these also hydroponic? So like AeroFarm, I know they do vertical farming, but do they also do hydroponics? I only bring that up because 
I think it would drastically cut down like the picking process, right? Because the the each pot itself is just the produce. You know what I mean? So maybe there is no picking necessary. It's just like, oh, I have the thing. So okay, so if we take the leafy greens product, right? So they're growing arugula in these little pods, and if it's hydroponic, there's no dirt or anything to clean off per se when you're trying to mm-hmm. package the product. Yeah. So potentially the way that they're growing their produce um, doesn't require as much labor as a typical farm would to prep the oh, produce for, yeah, for, consume, for consumption. So like they could they could potentially just have like the sheet with the seeds already built into it and then they put it on their looks like they're calling it aeroponic system. Oh yeah. Grow Aer- the, uh... Aeroponic, hydroponic, that's probably just a branding gimmick, but yeah, that sounds like what they're going for. Yeah, so it reduces the labor costs. Yeah, I would yeah. expect R and D to be their probably their biggest issue is just like trying to optimize everything down to the dime since they don't get free energy. Yeah, I mean, every percentage increase in productivity is is a significant uh, savings for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I like it. I think there's a lot. I really like uh, some of the uh, startups that are in this space. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we're talking about AeroFarms right now because it's it's spacking, but uh, plenty and some of these startups that are on the horizon, I think they're better positioned to to do well. So I think that is kind of one uh, drawback. Whereas I think App Harvest is pretty unique. Yeah, I've actually, have you tried Plenty? I've tried it before. It's actually not bad. Like, kale to me was always a, a relatively bitter um, produce. But I tried Plenty's and it's actually pretty pretty nice. Like uh, sweet or? Yeah, it's crunchier. I think um, it's almost like not thicker, but it's just like has more structural integrity. You know what I mean? Like sometimes if you get, it's it's whatever is the opposite of wilted. Turgid. Like uh, stronger, stronger leaves, like more uh, thicker leaves. Yeah, yeah. We'll call it that, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of competition in this vertical farming space. I think that's kind of the bear case. I mean, yes, there's the energy. Yes, there's the labor. But everybody in the space is is having that, those same issues. So it's a question of uh, can these guys outcompete? I think I want to say I saw like eight other companies in the space, I mean, Aero Farms is backing, so we're talking about them, but uh, there's a lot of pretty well-funded startups also. Yeah, I think Plenty actually had uh, backing from Jeff Bezos or maybe Amazon. So there's some big players interested in the space. Yeah, I think also, especially because we're in the Bay Area, I think Plenty has a pretty big, or is, is tends to be uh, top of mind. Since they're based out here. Yep. Whew. Did you see uh, Pl- Plenty has uh, $541 million in funding? Hey, good for them. I guess they're kind of the uh, thousand pound girl in this in this space. Uh, I've always thought that like groceries in general are just like a huge area of consumer spending, and so that I mean, mm-hmm. obviously that's why uh, Amazon went into Amazon Fresh and why they bought Whole Foods. But if they actually vertically integrated into growing their own produce in a converted mall. Like you could just have these built-in vertical farm distribution centers just like right there. Yeah, that might be the future. And that also be, might, might be like, uh, might make mm-hmm. Aero Farms or someone like it a pretty good acquisition target for, for Amazon. I don't know if that Amazon would try to acquire plenty. It might be kind of expensive, but they did get Whole Foods. Well, Whole Foods 
was struggling, with, I think, when they bought it. Like, I don't think Whole Foods is, like, at the top of their game with a huge multiple when they bought it. Yeah, I think Plenty is still has a ways to, ways to go to before mm-hmm. they hit their peak. So I don't know that uh, Amazon would, would buy it. Yeah. But they might partner. I mean, if they already have an investment, they already have uh, some kind of return mm-hmm. if, they, if they partner with them and help kind of launch them. So it'd be kind of interesting to see something like that. Or if I were Amazon. Just copy it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like once the R&D science project is like mature and everybody knows what the best practice is, uh, Amazon could probably just swoop in and do it themselves. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things in this space, but that's also kind of interesting. The thing is that like there's really no defensibility here. I mean, you're just growing plants. If you already have distribution, then why would you want to work with anyone else? That is true. That is true. Yeah. I mean, I guess what is the def- what's the defensibility of a farm today? I guess there isn't any because that's literally like the com- like if you're a corn grower, that's literally a commodity. Mm-hmm. So now it's just like a different way to grow a commodity. So I guess distribution then like who can get it into the hands of the consumer faster? It becomes DTC, direct to consumer. So if you're a farm and you know people want X amount of lettuce or, or produce per week, you just like do one of those Blue Apron or Butcher Box or whatever, like things of produce, but sent straight from your facility. A lot of restaurants do source directly from farms. I don't think it's too far off to kind of see, see more things going in that direction. Essentially, the mm. restaurants all want the best ingredients. I think Good Egg might be a good example of like a company that tries to find the farms with the best ingredients and then package it up and make it something that's available that consumers can also get. But restaurants are always actively seeking out the best ingredients and find finding local farms and local people who can provide those. If these guys can provide the best ingredients, then why why not work with them? Yeah, makes total sense. Yeah. It's on so many trends. I think that's the other thing. Like organic trend, there's the no pesticides, no GMO. There's like a thousand of these different things. And like this basically checks every box. So they can mm-hmm. sell that just about everybody. They can even have a rabbi come in and bless it, make it kosher. So they can, they can <laughs> kind of check every box that they need to check um, without having to increment the costs. Because typically organic is super expensive because you lose, you have, say like you have like 30, 40% lower yield than you would if you did use uh, pesticides and you, if you did use the GMO strains that are more robust or uh, resistant to some diseases, plant diseases. But, you know, in a warehouse, you don't have to worry about any of that. So you can produce stuff that's super high quality that people want to buy. And you don't have to worry about the yield. You just have to worry about uh, how much space and how many of these things you can grow. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the future. Right on. Just a question of which horse to bet on. I'm with App Harvest. Um, and then I think uh, I'll probably wait to see more on the aero, aero farm space and the vertical farming to see which one kind of makes the most sense. You know, I think that's a, that's a good segue to thinking about what the next bet might be. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us at SPAC Island on Twitter for updates, to give us feedback on the show, and to tell us which SPACs to review next. Note, the opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and not of any entities that they may be associated with. As always, this is not financial advice. Remember to do your own research. <laughs>